You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you open your Bibles, it will also come up on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to be reading from, verses 7 to 13. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Amen. So we're continuing in our uh, series here on the gifts of the spirit. And, you know, one of some of the things that we've been understanding and getting into is that God gives the gifts of the spirit to his people. And he gives the gifts of the spirit that we would use whatever gifts we each individually have, and that looks different, we would use these gifts to serve one another and to serve God. And as we serve one another, as we serve God in this way, using our gifts, we build up the church. We build up one another. Paul in um, Ephesians chapter 4, he says, the church, when it uses spiritual gifts, the church builds itself up in love. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Builds itself up in love as we use these gifts for love, uh, with love for one another, with love for God, we're building up this community. And all of that ultimately glorifies God. And that is the highest purpose of any spiritual gift is to glorify God. And in fact, it's, it's the highest purpose of anything that we do is to glorify God. And so today we are going to be talking about the gift of faith. Uh, Paul, in in the the passage I just read, in verse 9, he says, uh, to another, uh, faith is given. The gift of faith is given by the Spirit. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. But uh, the, the first thing we need to ask before we talk about the gift of faith is, well, what is faith? What is faith? And it's a very important question because so much of the Christian life, so much of being a disciple of Christ um, has to do with faith. The Bible constantly talks about it from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible, faith, faith, faith. And so we've got to understand, well, what is faith? Do I I really understand that? So when we we look for definitions uh, biblically, you know, it's really important that we define things in the way that the Bible defines them. Because, you know, language is a fluid thing. 
and terms change, words, the meanings of words change. And so if I just go to the dictionary and you know, read, oh, that's what faith is, it's going to be a little bit different to what the Bible refers to when it talks about faith. And uh, thankfully for us, there is an extremely clear definition that the Bible gives us around what faith is. And it's from Hebrews 11, verse 1. And uh, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Wonderful definition. Faith is an assurance and a conviction. It's a certainty. In other translation, uh, in, in some other translations, it uses the word confidence. It's an assurance, it's a conviction in something that is hoped for, but not seen. When it says not seen, that, that, that means that it's, it's an assurance and a conviction in something that hasn't been fully received yet. You can't see it. You can't uh, fully uh, touch it. But there's still the conviction. There's still that assurance. That is fundamentally what faith is. And when the Bible talks about faith, most of the time it's referring to saving faith, not the gift of faith, which is something different. It refers to saving faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith is a faith that we have in God for salvation. It's a faith I have in God, an assurance and a conviction that I have in God for salvation. An assurance and conviction that I have in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A faith, a, an assurance and a conviction in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is saving faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ is fundamentally in its most basic terms is that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, God's glory. And the penalty for sin, what I deserve, what we all deserve having sinned is death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us out of love and gave his life for us that we might receive forgiveness, that we might know him truly, that we might receive eternal life. That is the gospel. And when we believe in that, not just mentally, when we make it our own, when we trust in Jesus Christ fully for what he has done, that is saving faith. Really, this is the most important thing I'm going to ask this morning. Before we get into the gift of faith, before we even talk about spiritual gifts, have you truly put your trust in Jesus Christ? Can you really say, with an assurance and a conviction that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and every day I'm trusting Him, Him alone, for my salvation. Can you truly say that? I've got to ask you that because spiritual gifts are important. As I just said, you know, they give glory to God, they build up the church. But if we don't have saving faith, then we can forget about the spiritual gifts, really. So that's saving faith, which gets us on now to, okay, well, what is the gift of faith? Something different. Well, 
the, the, the most simple way uh, perhaps I can differentiate between the, the, the save, saving faith and the gift of faith is saving faith, as I've said, is, is a uh, conviction in God for salvation. The gift of faith is a conviction in God for a situation, not to do with salvation. How can I say that? Well, Paul here is referring to a gift of faith, and we know he's not referring to saving faith because he's talking about the spiritual gifts. He's saying, oh, each of you are given different gifts and you use them. So he's clearly not talking about saving faith, otherwise that would be very worrying if he's saying, only some of you Christians have saving faith. So it's, it's the gift of faith he's talking about here. And so um, let me use an analogy in terms of saving faith and gifting faith. So all of us need energy uh, to be alive. You know, if we don't have energy in us, then we're dead. And um, let's call it day-to-day energy, you know, that we have to live with. That's saving faith. We have to have energy. If we have that energy, then we are alive. Saving faith gives us spiritual life. But say I was to give you a shot in your arm of adrenaline. Not loads of it, so that it would kill you, but just, you know, a shot of adrenaline in your arm. You get a sudden surge, a sudden boost of energy to do something for a temporary amount of time. That's the gift of faith. See, the essence is the same. It's energy, but it's a boost of energy. It's this conviction. And so let me suggest a more uh, detailed um, or more specific definition for us this morning around what the gift of faith is. The gift of faith is a spirit-empowered conviction to trust in God for a specific situation and outcome. So it's a spirit-empowered conviction. Remember, this is a gift of the Spirit. The source of all gifts of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So he gives them and he empowers these gifts in us. He doesn't just say, here's your gift. You go use it and you can figure out everything else from here. I've done my role. The Holy Spirit gives it and then he empowers it through us. Verse 11. Let's look at that again. All these gifts are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. So it's a Spirit-empowered conviction, as we've said from Hebrews 11.1, to trust in God. You see, the gift of faith is not a conviction It's not a trust in a situation. My trust isn't in the situation that I'm hoping for. Let's say a healing. My my, my trust isn't in the healing itself. No, no, no. My trust is in God for the healing because he's the one who gives it. The healing doesn't give the healing. The healing is just another gift from God. And so it's really important to remember that when we think about any gift and particularly the gift of faith. So it's a trust in God for a specific situation and outcome. Now, it's a temporary, it's a temporary gift in the sense that God empowers specific gifts of faith for specific situations. Someone who is given a gift of faith doesn't suddenly never doubt anything or never have um, any questions or they can believe in everything for everything. No, no, no. They're given the gift of faith for a specific situation that they can fully have conviction and assurance for that thing that God has given them for. So that is the gift of faith. Now, what what does the gift of faith look like? Let's bring this to life a little bit more. 
what does it actually look like in practice? So, in Hebrews 11, and, and I just may make a, a small note on, uh, on uh, Hebrews 11, what a beautiful chapter of the Bible. If you want to be inspired by people who have been used by God, people who have been given a gift of faith by God and, and done remarkable things through the power of the Holy Spirit, look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's, it's like the chapter of faith. In the, uh, in the sports world, uh, let's take basketball, I, I love basketball, um, you have this thing called the Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Fame is where all of the greatest uh, sporting legends, you know, the guys who have, uh, and the women who have scored the most, they're the best at defense, they're the best coaches, they've won the most titles, championships. You know, these, these people, they get inducted into the Hall of Fame after they retire. And so Hebrews 11 is like a biblical Hall of Fame of the Old Testament. You read through it and you just see these one after another, by faith, this guy did, did, did this, by faith they did this, by faith they did this. Absolutely wonderful. And one of those people in that chapter is Abraham. Abraham. And it says this about Abraham. It says, by faith, Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Notice that by faith, Abraham obeyed. He had a conviction there in God. He obeyed God. And he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So the story of Abraham, the beginning of his story is he is in a place called Ur, and he gets called by God to go to a place called Haran. It's 700 miles away. 700 miles is a long distance even for us. Imagine being Abraham. He had a wife, uh, a big group of servants, and he had livestock. Imagine traveling 700 miles with all of your livestock. It would have taken months, if not years, to do that journey, and he'd never been there. It wasn't his home. He had no idea where he was going, but he had a conviction in God, and he believed God for the inheritance that God was going to give him. But notice he says he did not know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going, but he believed God for the inheritance. That's the gift of faith. That's the gift of faith. George Mueller was a guy who, a man who lived in the 1800s, uh, and he, he lived in Bristol. And he, uh, he, he was... Um, he was a minister, he was an evangelist, he was a missionary. But the thing George Mueller is, is perhaps most known for is starting an orphanage. And he and his wife had a real burning uh, compassion and call on their lives to take care of orphans. And so they started just with a few orphan girls that they took into their home. And they raised them, they gave them food, they gave them uh, clothes. They gave them an education. They taught, they taught them about God. Absolutely wonderful. That ministry grew and grew and grew. And, and, and they just, you know, this was during a time where, you know, there's so many orphans, so many children just on, on the streets. It's the same time. Uh, in fact, he lived the exact same time as Charles Dickens. So you can kind of imagine, you know, Oliver Twist kind of environment. And uh, there was more and more children, more and more orphans that they were taking in, and they needed to build. Um, they needed more space because they just couldn't house them in their own home. 
And so they decided they needed to build five buildings to uh, accommodate all of these orphans. And they needed money. They needed 100,000 pounds. Now, uh, 100,000 pounds in that time is equivalent to about 15 million pounds now. Imagine 15 million pounds. Of course, they didn't have that money. But God provided and uh, people gave money. They gave money and they built these five different buildings. Uh, they were able to house and take care of 1,700 orphans at one time. And throughout the course of George Mueller's life, they cared for 10,000 orphans just in his life. And not only that, but they built 117 schools and 120,000 children were able to receive education from those schools during his lifetime. What a remarkable man. You see, the most astounding thing is George Mueller never once asked for money from anyone. He never asked for a donation. And the point isn't that we should, we should never ask. Not at all. The point is this, that George Mueller was given a gift of faith and he felt a calling by God to depend wholeheartedly on God, knowing that God would provide everything. He was a man of prayer. That's all he did. He prayed. Every need he had, he prayed day after day after day, and God provided. That's the gift of faith that was given. The last, uh, last story I want to share is a little bit closer to home uh, here for us as a, as a, a church, uh, as a body. And uh, it really is wonderful to have people who are demonstrations of, of, of those who live by faith amongst us. And it's good for us to, to, to look at them and be inspired by their faith. And I want to tell the, the, the short story of, of, of Cami and her mother. So uh, Cami's mother was from a, a Hindu background. And um, Cami was praying for her mother for year after year after year. More than seven years, Kami was praying for her mother that she would come to a knowledge of the truth, that she would believe in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. But she hadn't fully given her life. Her mother hadn't fully... She was interested in Jesus, but there was a lot of Hinduism still mixed in there. And it took all the time up to the point where she was on her deathbed before she finally gave her life to Jesus. And she's in paradise as we speak. And she's experiencing eternal life with the Lord Jesus. But you see, Kami was given a gift of faith for her mother to continue to pray, to continue to share the gospel, despite the fact year after year after year, it did not look like there was fruit. It took until the end of her mother's life before she did so. That's the gift of faith. You see how the gift of faith, when God gives the gift of faith, how he is glorified, how he is manifested. God's character, his goodness is manifested. And it always gives an opportunity. The gift of faith leads to opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed. In all of those situations, it leads to opportunities. People see this miracle that happens through the gift of faith. God is glorified. And it gives opportunity for the gospel to go forth and to transform lives and for saving faith to take a hold of people. God is glorified when we exhibit our 
gifts that he gives us. So that's what the gift of faith looks like. Now, how should we pursue this gift? How should we pursue it? It's important that we ask this because uh, it can be easy to, even if we're going after something that is good, to go after it in the wrong way. And I think there's a few things we can say here. How should I pursue this gift? Well, first of all, seek God. Seek holy, the Holy Spirit above the gift. Seek the Holy Spirit above the outcome for what you're praying for. You see, our desire has to be for God first before anything else. It's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Our first desire, our first love, our first thing that we want is God himself, not just a gift. Because if we, uh, if we really desire the, the gift above God, then it shows... Uh, wrong motivations. It shows that really, well, it's not really God that we want. It's just some kind of benefit that he gives. And uh, James chapter 4, you know, is the context of this passage is, is talking about praying to God and, and asking for um, answers to prayer. And, and, and James, James chapter 4 verse 3 says, says this, you ask and you do not receive. God doesn't answer your prayer because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see that? They were asking wrongly. They, they, they wanted some kind of benefit to spend it on themselves, you know, to do what they wanted with it. They weren't really seeking God. It's so important that we seek God first because we've got to remember He's the one who gives the gift. He's the source of the gift. It's not about us conjuring up some kind of faith. There's this kind of theology um, that, that's, that's called name it and claim it, you know, and, and that kind of theology, that kind of way of thinking is, it depends on me. It all depends on me. If I just muster up enough faith, if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps enough, I'm going to get what I'm going, get what I'm praying for. And the reason why I don't have these things is because I haven't done that. It's all down to me. See, that's the wrong way to go about it because that's not seeking God first. You see, to know that we have the right motivations, we have to seek him first to align ourselves with him. Then we will be able to see clearly what his will is. Then we'll be able to see where he wants to give a gift of faith. We're not the ones who decide. We want him to tell us. So it's so important we seek God first above the gift or the outcome. Ultimately, am I asking for a gift of faith to glorify God, or I'm asking for this to glorify myself. So seek God first. Uh, secondly, how should I pursue this gift? How should we do that? Humble yourself. We've got to humble ourselves. You see, that the, the humble person is one who depends wholeheartedly on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't depend on himself. It's a, it's a renunciation of self-dependence. See, God can't use somebody who's proud because the proud person thinks they're the solution. The, the buck stops with them. Oh, if I'm not there, nothing's going to happen. If I don't do this, then yeah, people need me there. God needs me. We've got to humble ourselves. God can use who he wants, 
but he uses those who are humble, who humble themselves. So often the Bible says, humble yourself before him. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. So we have to humble ourselves. But I want to ask to, to all of us this morning, do you feel weak? Do you feel, in your spirit, do you feel like you have weakness? Do you feel like a weak person? If you do, then first of all, you're in good company. And secondly, good. It's good that you feel weak. Because you know what? When we recognize our weakness, that's when God can use us. Because if we do the, the, the correct self-analysis, then really all of us have to come to the conclusion that we are all weak. Otherwise, we're not believing what Jesus said in John chapter 15 when he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to live your life like you believe that. Apart from God, I can do nothing. So often we kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe the big things, but I can do this. I can do this without God. If we, do the, if we look at our hearts, if we look at who we are, if we believe the words of Jesus, then we'll all come to the conclusion we're weak. We need him. We need him for our very breath that we take every second, let alone to do anything for his church, to serve his church, to glorify him, to understand anything. Oh, we need him. And so it's good when we feel weak. And I want to read from now um, uh, Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34. Again, this is the chapter talking about the great heroes of the faith. Now look what it says about them. It says this, And now what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Isn't that wonderful? They were made strong out of weakness. They were weak men. They were weak women just like us. But they were made strong only through God's power from a place of weakness. And Paul says something very similar in uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9. Paul, another wonderful example of one who lived by faith. And he says, uh, he says this, talking about God. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's worth meditating on. Do we want Christ's power to rest on us? Let's recognize our weakness. And so how do we pursue the, the gift of faith? Seek God first above anything else. Be humble. 
recognize our weakness. But ultimately, we do have to ask. We have to ask God. If I want a gift of faith, if I want a gift, any spiritual gift, I have to pursue it. Paul says, earnestly pursue the gifts. That doesn't mean just sitting around, waiting. Oh, yeah, maybe I'll get given the gift of faith. Ask. Ask. He's a good father. He wants to give good gifts. He wants to give it to you. And you ask, he's going to give it to you. I love this verse in Luke 17, verse 5. It's a small little verse, a very small little passage. Easy to look over. And the talks about how the, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, they come to him. They come to him and they just ask, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Such a simple prayer. It's a humble prayer. Increase my faith, Lord. I feel weak, but I want to be used by you. Increase my faith. Give me a gift of faith to believe for this specific situation. This suffering that I'm going through. Give me a gift of faith for perseverance, Lord, that I may be honoring to you, that I may behold you as I go through it. Give me a gift of faith for someone I'm praying for, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, just like Kami. Give me a gift of faith for a healing, a physical healing, a mental healing, a spiritual healing. Give me a, give me a gift of faith Give me a gift of faith for the church. Give me a gift of faith for Redeemer, for a ministry that I'm a part of. Lord, I need a gift of faith. Increase my faith. 